Mark 13. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the, be- are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. When, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whenever is, whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother, brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is a Messiah, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about the day or hour, no one knows.
not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know what when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and char- puts his servant in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. When I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Thanks, Theodore, for that excellent reading. Is this a blast from the past or what? Wow. Anyway, you guys are looking quite good, and hopefully you're thinking after seeing me for the first time in two years and four months, hopefully I haven't aged more than two years or four months. Actually, my health has been quite good being up in Darwin, but in the last two weeks, my phlegm production has gone into overdrive for some reason. So I'll have a few cough lollies with me, and I apologise beforehand if I end up spluttering through this, but hopefully I'll be okay. Apart from that, my health has been excellent. Anyway, one of the terrible things about war is obviously its impact on people. People lose their lives, and those who survive are scarred physically and often mentally. But war impacts on more than just people, doesn't it? Animals and the physical environment are often the victims of war in addition to people. And on top of that, there's also the devastation that war often causes to buildings and cultural artefacts. And this is something that the city of Jerusalem has experienced in the past. And we've seen pictures of that happening on our TV screens more recently too, haven't we? Destruction as a result of war. On one particular occasion, after Jesus had entered Jerusalem, he was leaving the temple. And one of his disciples at that time pointed out to him the grandeur of the stones and buildings that made up the temple. And in its day, the temple in Jerusalem was an amazing piece of architecture. It was one of the largest edifices in the world in its day. Now, if you include the courts that surrounded the temple itself, it was 14 hectares in size. So that's bigger than the land that we have here. It's the equivalent of around 28 football fields. So it's quite big. And massive blocks of stone were used in its construction. But when the magnificence of the temple was pointed out to Jesus on this particular occasion, he responded to the disciple in question, do you see these magnificent buildings? Here, there will never be left a stone upon a stone that will not be destroyed. Now, shortly afterwards, having left the temple and travelled up and across to the Mount of Olives, which overlooks the temple across the Kidron Valley, four of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, John and Andrew, took the opportunity to ask Jesus about what he had just said. They asked him, tell us when these things, when will they happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to take place? 
And these disciples believed Jesus when he said that the temple was going to be destroyed, but naturally they wanted to know the time and the circumstances leading up to this amazing event. And most of Mark 13, therefore, it consists of Jesus' answer to these questions. When will it happen and what's the sign? Now, Jesus will tell them when and he will give them some signs. But notice what his emphasis is in his answer. In fact, he starts off with his main point, as we see in verse 5. Beware. Beware lest any of you go astray. Be careful. In the lead up to the time of the end, there's the distinct possibility that people will be deceived and start going the wrong way. Be careful. And Jesus explains this in verse 6 when he says, many will come in my name, saying, I am, I'm the one, and they will lead many astray. The problem identified by Jesus here is the problem of false Christs. There's going to be many people who will falsely claim that they're the Messiah. Don't follow them. Don't follow these false teachers. There will also be wars and reports of wars. But even then, Jesus calls upon us not to be afraid. Nation will be aroused against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in many places. There'll also be famines, says Jesus. But importantly, these things are only the beginning of the birth pains. Friends, this is significant. Just because we see the world suffering from war and earthquakes and famines, these aren't necessarily signs that the time of the end is upon us. These things, according to Jesus, are actually the beginning of the birth pains. Now, some of you here have given birth before, right? A few people I can see here. When a pregnant woman gives birth to her child, it involves a laboured process, right? It starts off with, I assume, contractions of the uterus. And for most women... Those contractions are painful. But as a baby gets closer to being born, the contractions, which start off kind of weak and spaced out, they get stronger and longer and more frequent, and the pain for the mother increases. Anyone had that experience before? (laughs) Doesn't sound too good, does it? When Jesus describes the process of history like birth pains, it suggests that a lot of suffering is going to take place in the lead-up to the time of the end. Now, as Jesus continues his speech, it's important for us to note that Jesus distinguishes what he calls these things from the things that belong to those days. The phrase these things refers to the disasters that are the beginning of the birth pains, in particular the destruction of the temple, which actually took place in the year 70. So just 40 years or less than 40 years from when Jesus was speaking 
on that particular occasion. And that's what the disciples wanted to know about. They wanted to know about these things, the destruction of the temple. But Jesus also speaks about those days. And he uses the phrase those days to refer to the time of the end when he was going to return to the world in glory. So as we go through, we'll see that the distinction between these things and those days, that's actually the key to understand what Jesus is talking about in this chapter. But in verse 9, we hear Jesus repeating his main theme. Watch yourselves. Be careful. Not only will there be false Christ seeking to lead people astray, but there will also be persecution for God's people. Jesus mentions his disciples will face persecution from the Jewish authorities and also from Gentile governors and kings. But such persecutions aren't necessarily a sign of the time of the end. According to verse 10, before the time of the end arrives, it's necessary for the gospel to be preached to all of the nations. And how is it that the preaching of the gospel to all nations is a condition for the coming of the time of the end? Well, it really goes back to God's promise to Abraham. Remember how God promised Abraham that through Abraham and his seed, blessing would come to all the families of the earth? Well, that promise can only be fulfilled through Jesus and the preaching of the gospel about Jesus. That must take place before the time of the end arrives. In verses 11 to 13, mention is made about the need for endurance in the midst of persecution. Sadly, such persecution may even involve brother against brother and parents against their own children. Here we see division within families. But even when believers are delivered over to the authorities, Jesus tells us not to worry about what to say in our defence because the Holy Spirit will help direct our words. Looking at verses 14 through to 18, we can see in these verses that Jesus' words here, they really focus on what the believers who were alive in the first century should do in the time leading up to the destruction of the temple by the Roman army that was going to besiege Jerusalem. And Jesus makes mention in verse 14 of the abomination of desolation. And there are some questions about, oh, what's this abomination of desolation? But as a phrase, it occurs twice in the book of Daniel and also in another ancient Jewish text called First Maccabees. And it seems to refer to a pagan image that was placed on top of the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. In the time of Daniel, it was possibly an image of the Greek god Zeus that was put there in around the year 167 BC by the army of Antiochus Epiphanes, who was the king of Hellenistic Syria. But Jesus reuses the term here, the abomination of desolation, and he does so to apply to the Roman army led by a general called Titus. And we do know that the Roman armies, they used to carry around a standard. So it looked like, Uh, pole and on top of that pole 
they'd have an image of an animal. Uh, most of the time it'd be an image of a, an eagle, but it could be a dragon or some other animals. That's also called an ensign. And some of these ensigns or standards, we do know there is some historical evidence for the fact that when the Roman army took control of Jerusalem, as they entered into the temple, they placed their ensigns there and offered sacrifices in front of those ensigns. Anyway, the main point in these verses is that Jesus is calling upon the believers in Judea at that time to flee to the hills and to escape from the destruction that was going to be caused by the Roman army. But notice verse 19. Notice in that verse how Jesus uses the phrase, those days. It signals a transition now. Jesus has shifted from these things, which refer to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70, now to those days, a lot further in the future, to the events at the time of the end of our current stage of human history. In effect, I think what Jesus is doing is taking the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70. It's a kind of picture of some of the things that are going to happen towards the end of time. Okay, then, well, what's going to happen in those days at the end of history as we know it? Well, following on from verse 29, oh, sorry, I probably should be verse 19 and verse 20, we can see there's going to be a terrible tribulation. There's going to be a time of great difficulty and suffering, something similar to what the people in Judea were going to experience in the time leading up to the destruction of the temple. But Jesus says the time of suffering at the end of time is going to be so great that God will actually need to shorten the days so that the elect will be saved. This suggests terrible suffering for believers during the time of tribulation. But God will keep it short so that those whom he's chosen for salvation won't be forced to endure more than what they can bear. Notice also, according to verses 21 through to 23, the issue of false Christs and false prophets, that's still going to be a problem at the end of time. These false prophets sent by Satan, they're going to be seeking to lead God's people astray. And again, Jesus tells us, beware. Don't believe them. Don't be deceived by anyone falsely claiming to be Jesus or a prophet of God. And then Jesus goes on in verses 24 through to 26. He indicates what's going to happen just before he returns. The sun will be darkened, the moon as well, and stars will fall from heaven. And then everyone alive at that time will see the Son of Man coming on clouds with much power and glory. Here Jesus, as he typically does, he refers to himself as the Son of Man. And we've talked about this before, haven't we, how that picks up language from a prophecy in Daniel 7, where a human being, the Son of Man, he comes to God, the Ancient of Days in heaven, on a cloud to receive authority to rule the nations. But here in verse 26, Jesus isn't coming to God to receive authority because that's already happened when he ascended into heaven. 
But the picture here is he's now coming from God to earth with much power and glory. The way he went up, well, in effect, that's going to be the way that he comes back. And when he comes back, he'll bring judgment with him, which according to verse 27 is going to involve the angels. They'll go out to gather up the elect. In effect, the angels will be going out to rescue those chosen for salvation who survived the tribulation. So these are the signs of the time of the end. False Christ, false prophets, a darkened sun and moon, fallen stars, and Jesus returned to earth in clouds of glory, followed by the day of judgment. And, friends, it's important to pay attention to those signs. That is how in verses 28 to 29 Jesus tells us that observing what's going on around us, reading the signs, is important. It's a bit like someone who observes a fig tree. If you like eating figs, then you need to pay attention to what's being produced around you. When the new shoots of a fig tree start producing leaves, which usually happens in late spring, well, you know that summer and harvest time, right, is just around the corner. In a similar way, when we see the signs of the time of the end, we should know that Jesus is close to coming back. And overall, I think hopefully you're nodding your heads and saying, okay, this all makes sense. But it brings us to verse 30, right? Verse 30. Does anyone understand verse 30? This verse has caused a bit of confusion for readers down the years. But notice what Jesus says here and the language that he uses. He says, truly I say to you that this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He's used the phrase these things, right? What did we say before about this particular phrase, these things. Using this phrase, Jesus is actually repeating the language in the question that the disciples had asked him. What's the time going to be for when these things take place? They were talking about the destruction of the temple, right? And Jesus is telling them here. He's referring to the destruction of the temple in the year 70, which is different from those days. So the point of what Jesus is saying in this verse is that everything that comes under the category of these things, that is, everything relating to the destruction of the temple, all of these things will happen within your lifetime to the people that he was talking to. Them, right? Within the lifetime of the current generation, back at that point in time when Jesus was speaking, he's answering the disciples' question about when the temple is going to be destroyed. And true to what Jesus predicted, less than 40 years later, Jerusalem had been captured by the Romans and the temple raised to the ground. As Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus' words are always true.
So when Jesus also gives us signs here to prepare us for the coming of the time of the end, we can take him at his word. He's not deceiving us. But note that Jesus doesn't give us an exact timetable for when he's going to return. He could say about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, within this generation, within 40 years. But when it comes to the time of the end, no exact date. In fact, the exact time of Jesus' return is information that the angels of heaven don't know. And even more surprisingly, it's information that Jesus himself doesn't know, at least not yet, at that time. So if Jesus doesn't know it, we shouldn't think that somehow we know more than him. And, in fact, the important thing for us isn't the timing of Jesus' return. The important thing is whether or not we're ready for it. And this is the main point that Jesus makes in his speech here in this chapter. He started with this point. And in verses 33 to 37, he also finishes on this point. Beware. Be watchful. For you do not know when the time will be. Friends, we need to be alert. We need to be watching, just like a meerkat. Sticking their heads up, yeah? Always on the lookout. Or as Jesus puts it, like a doorkeeper, whose job is to be ready to open the door for his master whenever the master returns to his house. Therefore, be alert. For you do not know when the Lord of the house is coming. And it's interesting. At the end of this chapter, Jesus says, What I say to you, my disciples here, I also say to everyone. Be alert. Stay awake. Don't lose your focus. We need to be watching for the signs of our master's return and to make sure we're ready to welcome him home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet up again here in this place. And just as I was travelling here, I guess looking for the signs of HPCC and what it looks like and seeing people's faces here again. Lord, even more than that, we're to be looking out for the signs of our master's return, the signs of the times for when our dearly beloved friend will return when Jesus will come back, bring into existence the fullness of your kingdom. Lord God, we thank you for the reminder that you've given us today that we need to be ready. 
We need to be watching. We need to be paying attention. We need to be ready to open the door and welcome our master home. Lord, in the midst of our chaotic world, we ask that you would help us not to lose our focus. We pray this in Jesus' name. All right. Uh, now it is time for Q&A, and I would like to invite uh, Remy Foxett back up here to be interrogated. I guess. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Answer some questions. <laughs> Um, we will have some time for um, a question uh, directly from the floor, uh, but I think we'll, we can just address the ones online first and then see how we go. Um, okay. All right. Uh, first question uh, somebody's put up. Um, thank you, Robinson, uh, for coming back to preach for us in 3D. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 3D motion. <laughs> Always a great message. Can you please elaborate on what shortening the elect days means? And then uh, second part is, does the sun go un- go down earlier? Will non-Christian globally live through the same days or will it be like the time zone? Yeah, we're not meant to think about changes of time zones or the physical length of the day and how much how many hours of sunlight, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, it's just an expression that, who knows, is it like for if it, the tribulation, the time of difficulty, mm-hmm. if it goes on for too long, then the sense in which the pressure and the difficulty and the persecution, all of that, if it's too great, then it's a little bit like, you know, I remember seeing someone i didn't want to look at the video but it was something like they said this lady was working out in the gym mm. picked up too much of a weight no and then stopped her arm uh, apparently snapped right <laughs> too much weight too much pressure it can things snap. can break yes so basically what it's saying is the time frame you know so instead of seven years ten years whatever god's going to shorten it mm. short and sharp relatively speaking mm-hmm for the sake of the elect, that they don't have to endure too much beyond what they can bear. All right. right? So that's all it simply means. Mm -hmm. The duration of time in terms of years, say, is going to be shortened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Next question is that abomination of desolation refer in verse 14. Is that for the end time? If so, what do you think it could be? Yeah, interesting question, this one. Mm. Um, I think the abomination of of desolation that Jesus is talking about here, it's it's obviously picking up on analogy with what happened Mm. under Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a guy who persecuted the Jews, sent his army in, and they established basically Greek kind of sacrifices and temple, Greek temple worship Mm. there Mm. in the temple in Jerusalem. Mm. and that kind of pagan sacrifice, what happened back then, what we get often in biblical history is the kind of patterns. Mm. These things foreshadow what's going to happen down the track. Mm. And so when you look at the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in the year 70, you do see things which are quite similar to, say, when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians. 
or when Antiochus's army came in yep. against the Jews mm-hmm. in around 167, around that period of time, mm. BC. So here I think Jesus is really, what he has in focus is he's answering the question that the disciples asked. When's the temple in Jerusalem going to be destroyed? Mm. And so the sign was when you see these Roman ensigns coming in, mm. Yes. And things are going to impact on the proper worship of God in the temple. That's mm. the sign for them. Right. And we do know that historically uh, there is evidence, at least on one historian who talked about the Christian community in Judea did actually physically run to the hills wow. and did a lot of them survived because they did that. Mm-hmm. So I think Jesus is referring to that. Whether or not there's something similar that comes to that, you know, at the end of time, that's a very interesting question. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul uses language which is kind of does make you wonder. Mm. These patterns that we've seen previously, do we see something like that at the end of time? But I don't think Jesus has that in focus here. He's focusing on the signs leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem and because that's a kind of picture of what will come Mm -hmm. in the future, he also covers that as well. But remember the main message is... Be careful. Yep. Beware. Don't follow the false prophets. Got it. <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Um, next one is, who or where are the Romans now? The one who destroyed Jerusalem. Yeah, well, basically, Romans, you can see the word Rome in there, right? Yeah. So Rome. today, they're the Italians, you could say. <laughs> but we're talking about the Roman Empire back then. <laughs> Okay, so the Roman Empire focused in Rome. They expanded throughout the Mediterranean region and impacted upon uh, the Jews. Yeah, yeah. And the relationship between the Jews and the Romans was a uh, they weren't really friends, right? Yeah. So, um, and really, it was because the Jews tried to rebel in the lead up to the year seventy, and the Romans just came in and destroyed the place, basically. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. I hope that answers the question. Um, next one is, will the sign of the end time be literal, literal, like the falling stars? Yeah, I think so. I think that's Jesus' point here, mm-hmm. that there will be cosmic effects. Now, is that because physically the moon and the sun themselves will get dark? Possibly, but... Sometimes we do get this language used in the Bible elsewhere in the Old Testament where a little bit like in wartime, mm. we've seen images of that recently, haven't we? Mm. When something gets bombed, particularly like an oil tank or something like yeah. that, Poof. you get this black smoke, don't you? Black yeah. smoke going up. And even there were some pictures, I don't know if you've seen them, where it's overlooking one of these cities that have been bombed mm. and they have kind of spectacularly red sunsets oh, yeah. Yeah. because of all the dust and gunk up in the air you know, yeah. from the explosion. Mm, mm, mm. And when that gets really bad, you can't see the sun. No. It gets blocked. So to what extent is it you know, a picture of water and pollution in the atmosphere mm. that we can't see the sun or is it physically the sun and moon themselves? Yeah. But the way it's talking about fallen stars and mm. so there's going to be, um, my assumption is it's, some kind of cosmic type chaos, unusual events happening. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keep an eye out for that, I guess. Read the signs. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. 
Is the term watch related to the watchman spoken in Isaiah 56, 10 to 12? What is the Christian's role to watch? I think there's a similarity there. Uh, normally when watchmen are talked about in the Old Testament, they're talking about Old Testament prophets. Mm. So the role of the watchman was on a city wall, they'd be on the lookout for the approach of any enemy. Mm. And so their job would be, you know, looking out, any enemy coming. Yep. If they see something unusual, mm. then to report to but, their leaders or whatever, yep. get ready or at least send a party out to find out what's going on. Yep. So, yeah, their role was to, watch, watch to warn of danger. Right, that's the role of the, the Old Testament prophets. They were to warn the people of Israel mm. of the danger of false teaching, in effect, mm. the influence of the pagan nations around them, that coming into Israel. Mm. Mm. Their job was to keep the people on the right path. But what's happening in Isaiah in that particular chapter there is the watchmen weren't doing their job. <laughs> yep. The prophets weren't speaking the word of God to the people. Mm. And so Israel got infected by the virus of the false teaching of the pagan nations around. Yep. And as a result of that, God basically gave them over yep. to the nations. The Babylonian army came in and destroyed everything. Destroyed them, yep. Similar thing happening at the time of what Jesus is talking about here mm. in the year 70. Mm. So that's talking about the prophets, yep. what about but it's the similar attitude yep. yeah, that we're to have as well. Mm. And, in fact, Every Christian person should be concerned about the spiritual welfare yep. of their friends and family, the people in the church around. Mm. And mm. if you see something that is concerning, and say, hey, yep. have you thought about this or have you noticed this? Mm. And make sure that we're all heading in the right direction. Right direction. Yep. yep. Okay. Got it. And uh, the next question, or I think this will be, looks like the last one. Why do you think Christians are still deceived despite being told to look out for Jesus coming on a cloud and for false teachers? I think it's probably getting at is this question maybe relating to it uses the language of you know, the false Christ and false prophets. They'll perform signs and wonders to the mm. extent that, if possible, even the elect could be deceived. So in yeah. other words, it's, it's easy to be deceived if you're not paying attention, if you're not careful. Mm, that's mm. why Jesus is hammering that point. You know, be careful. Yep. But partly it could be, you know, we do have to be a little bit careful in the sense of our desire to want to see mm, Jesus mm. return. And yep. this is something that does affect the Christian church in a way in that there are a lot of churches and a lot of people out there who want blessing, right? Yep. They want a good life. They want mm. the fullness of everything that God would give. Mm, mm. But in a way, we want it now. Course. We, you know, no one wants to wait, right? Yeah, and definitely. in a way that makes sense. But yeah. we don't want to wait to the extent that we try and force it now, even before God's own timetable. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I wonder to what extent is there something like that happening? You know? mm, mm, mm. We do have to be careful. Yeah. Really, in the end, what we need to do is stick to Scripture. That's right. Test everything against it. Mm, mm. Yeah. That's right. Watch out for the sign and tip to the scripture, guys. <laughs> All right. I think that is the last question online. Um, anyone here, if you have any question, just raise your hands up and ask away. Um, yeah. Or if not, then um, anything on Zoom, John? No? All right. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.